if you see him, just try and stay with him. Tonight on Global News Hour, a family's plea to the public, the search for a missing senior in Maple Ridge, why time is of the essence. Plus. The annual Miri Piri Parade in Surrey in the shadow of Sikh leader Hardeep Singh Nidra's death, how the community is trying to heal from the tragedy. And then... Happy Pride! Vancouver! The Pride Festival takes over downtown Vancouver, promising to be more inclusive than ever before. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. An emotional plea tonight from a lower mainland family to help find their father who's been missing for days. Otto Chazar is a senior with medical conditions who had simply gone out to pick up a newspaper but did not come home. Krista Dow reports. It has been an agonizing 48 hours for Ben Chazar and his family. Their 76-year-old father, Otto, has gone missing. It's getting worse and worse because, you know, the time's going by, right? Otto Chazar was last seen Friday morning heading out to buy a newspaper at Chevron. His family says he never returned home. In an emotional plea Sunday, they're asking the public for help. We are extremely concerned about his safety and well-being. He's well-loved. He's got underlying, you know, health conditions like asthma. He doesn't have his puff puffer with him. And, uh, you know, he, he hasn't eaten anything since Friday. There is underlying uh, health concerns. And, and we also have to factor stress and other things. So he could be, that's why we say he could be confused. The senior is about five foot two with a slim build. He's balding with gray hair and was last seen wearing a bright green shirt, black Nike windbreaker, jeans and red and blue running shoes. Ridge Meadows RCMP say he left his home in the 12,000 block of 207A Street Friday morning. When his favorite newspaper wasn't available, staff suggested he try the Petro-Canada at Dudney Trunk and 203rd Street. It's unclear which way he went. His son Bense says he doesn't take transit, only had $3 with him and had no ID or cell phone on him. If you see him, just try and stay with him. You know, he's a stubborn dad. He probably won't ask for help, right? He's too proud. We're also asking the residents of Maple Ridge to check their backyards and the surrounding green spaces of their houses. The surge now being expanded across Metro Vancouver. RCMP don't believe foul play is involved and say he is a high-risk individual. His family praying someone locates him and soon. He must be really hungry and thirsty. Just please help us find him. Anyone with information is asked to call Ridge Meadows RCMP. Krista Dow, Global News. And in Victoria, police are looking for a man who's gone missing under high-risk circumstances. Matthew Day was last seen Friday. He has not been in contact with his family, which is considered unusual for him. The 41-year-old is described as being 5 foot 8 inches tall and was last seen a wearing a black jacket, blue shirt, black pants, and shoes. Vic PD say they have no information that he is at immediate risk of harm, but say the circumstances of his disappearance are considered high risk. If you see him, please call 911. 
Now to the latest on the B.C. wildfire fight and continued extreme conditions in parts of southern B.C. are fueling more fires. Currently, there are more than 380 active wildfires burning in the province. At least 37 fires have been sparked in the last 24 hours. 320 of those fires were caused by lightning. 23 others are said to be human-caused. To the Bush Creek East fire now, about 23 kilometers northwest of Chase. And this afternoon, the Thompson-Nicola Regional District issued an evacuation order for residents of 13 properties in the area of the Adams Forest Service Road, where fire jumped that road this weekend in a couple of spots. It's been mapped at more than 1,700 hectares. As for the East Adams Lake fire, 21 kilometers north of Chase on the east side of Adams Lake, the Columbia Shushwap Regional District says there's been minimal growth, but heavy smoke is making it difficult to get an accurate reading of the fire growth. The district is warning that depending on weather conditions in the coming days, the fire has the potential to impact communities to the south of the fire, including Lee Creek. BC Wildfire Service is responding to a new wildfire about three kilometers southeast of Little Fort. Crews say the Stoll Creek wildfire is about two hectares in size and is highly visible from Little Fort, Highway 5 and surrounding areas. Along with firefighters, there are two helicopters and air tanker support to fight this blaze. Now, with those wildfire conditions, is there a possible shift in the weather on the way this week? Meteorologist Yvonne Shell joins us with more on that. Yvonne? Julie, there'll be a brief break in the forecast, but it's a bit of a double-edged sword. What we're seeing is temperatures into the upper 20s, but we do still have the potential and the risk of thunderstorms. We still have that smoky skies bulletin. It's blanketing the southeastern corners right across the Okanagan Valley and extending in towards the Fraser Canyon. All areas that are in gray, smoky skies, still impacted by the those regions over the next 24 and 48 hours and those with respiratory issues will want to try and limit their amount of time spent outdoors. What we're tracking for the afternoon and early evening hours tomorrow and the big concern especially the southern half into the southern interior we'll see the potential for lightning over the next two days. There's a brief break from the heat however we will be tracking that potential and that risk. Here's we'll see the drop in temperatures on the temperature trend but then it heats up once again towards the end of the week and leading in towards next weekend so far. We do have a severe thunderstorm watch for the northeast eastern corners and the central half of the province. I'll have that coming up very shortly. Julie? All right. Thank you, Yvonne. Thousands packed the streets in Surrey today for the annual Miri Piri Parade, an important day on the sick calendar. But as Kamal Karamali reports, it comes just weeks after the shooting death of a local Gurdwara president. It was all about the food. We can describe the taste by just saying you should have to try it if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> family. My favorite part is that we're here and that's making me happy. And a sense of community. Tens of thousands marching through Surrey Sunday morning for the annual Miri Piri Parade. And if you aren't sure what that is, this is specifically an outfit for warriors of Sikhism. Let 14-year-old Harpunith Singh explain it to you. Midi and Piri are two swords, all right? Midi is basically like anger and hatred, like bravery and stuff. And Piri is, a, you know, like spirituality. Within the festivities, there's still a dark cloud hanging over this parade, with community leader Hardeep Singh Nijar's death still front of mind. This parade is 
also as Miri Piri and also dedicated to Hardeep Singh Nijar. And you will see on September 10 for love for Hardeep Singh Nijar. Everybody is missing him. He is the most beloved person here. The Sikh community advocate killed in the Surrey Temple's parking lot mid-June. Back in 2022, the Indian government had offered a cash reward for his arrest. A federal e-petition now asks Ottawa to look into allegations there was foreign involvement in the homicide. Nijer was a supporter for a separate state of Sikhs in India called Khalistan. Khalistan flags all along the parade route despite some fear of what that might bring. I don't feel safe myself because I'm picking up this flag. I feel scared from the public, uh, from the government of India. A non-binding referendum gauging the consensus of an independent sixth state scheduled for this Thursday. The referendum means to avoid the conflicts, to avoid the armed conflict. So although this year's Miri Piri parade was about celebrations, it was also about hope of moving a community forward towards justice and change. Kamel Karamali, Global News. A would-be UBC graduate student and firefighter from Colorado has died on the job in Oregon. Benjamin Charles Sapper was working as a Forest Service firefighter near Powers, Oregon on Friday when he was killed in a car accident while on duty. The 21-year-old was originally from Boulder, Colorado and was set to start graduate school in Earth Sciences this fall at UBC. Kamloops RCMP have now released the identity of a man who died under suspicious circumstances last week. Police say a man's body was found on Tuesday along the side of Paul Lake Road. He has since been identified as Jason Aaron Martin of Kamloops. Investigators believe he was the victim of foul play, although they consider it an isolated incident with no threat to the public. If you have any video or dash cam footage of Paul Lake Road, the Halston Connector, or the north shore of Kamloops from 10 a.m. July 31st to 2 a.m. August 1st or had dealings with Martin, call police. An early morning fire at a Surrey disposal yard sent plumes of smoke across Metro Vancouver. Crews responded to a large debris pile that caught fire at Bright Sky Disposal Yard in the Bridgeview area around 4.30 this morning. Firefighters used an aerial attack to contain the flames, preventing them from spreading to neighboring buildings. No word yet on what sparked the fire. It's a sight for sore eyes for transit users in the Fraser Valley, where buses are back on the road for the first time in nearly five months. Full service resumed today following the union's ratification of a new agreement in July. BC Transit drivers in Abbotsford, Chilliwack, Hope and points in between walked off the job on March 20th and remained on strike for 124 days. Fares are suspended until September 1st as a thank you to everyone for their patience with the disruption. Now I can get out to appointments like doctors, blood work, things of this nature. Sure. You know, when you don't have a vehicle, you do depend on the bus. I couldn't get to school, I couldn't get to work, and now it's nice to get back to it. Yeah, yeah, we are happy, very happy uh, because the buses start, okay? QB 561 says the new six-year agreement helps narrow the wage gap with other transit workers in Metro Vancouver. 
The trend of taking BC ferries on foot is still holding steady this long weekend. On Saturday, there was a little more than 15,000 vehicles and nearly 55,000 passengers who crossed on one of the three major routes between Metro Vancouver and Vancouver Island. That's nearly 7% fewer vehicles, but 5% more passengers compared to the same day last year. BC Ferries also says 76% fewer vehicles experienced sailing weights than the same day last year. The corporation is also reminding people that parking lots at the Horseshoe Bay and Tawasin terminals are completely full. There's limited availability at Departure Bay and Swartz Bay as well. Straight ahead on Global News Hour, Vancouver's Pride Festival takes over downtown. Highlights from the annual parade, which attracted thousands of people to the core. And could certain local spots be doing more to attract tourists? What one former park board commissioner has to say when Global News Hour returns. Vancouver showed its pride today for the annual parade, now bigger than ever. Thousands lined the streets from English Bay to past BC Place to take in the spectacle. As Grace Key reports, this year's route change was in the name of inclusivity. Dykes on Bikes kicked off the 45th annual Vancouver Pride Parade. This year's 3.1-kilometer route is slightly longer than last year's. It started at Davie and Denman and ended at Concord Community Park. Organizers say the route is much more accessible. It's flatter and it's also straighter, which is interesting for a queer community. Um, but the lovely piece is that it's wider as well, a little more shady. And we actually did it because we heard from community that accessibility was an issue. It's the number one reason that keeps people from attending. The parade. I came to check out the new route, so I'm kind of excited about it. I'll get a better opinion at the end of the parade. <laughs> Happy Pride! With up to 150 entries, the three-hour parade is the largest to date. Participants and those cheering them on describe what the parade means to them. It means a lot to me personally, and I think for all of the Indigenous people that we get to be included in this, especially right front and centre. It's just important for me to like be around like other queer people and just like really get that sense of community. It's really great to be visible, to be seen, and to be held by community. This year's theme, Reconnect, symbolizing Vancouver Pride Society's commitment to provide a voice for marginalized communities. We really wanted to reconnect to the roots of Pride, which is a protest, which is us taking up space. But I think the other thing is, is we want to reconnect with our allies because they're the people that are going to make it easier for us to all move forward again. The number of floats and trailers allowed in the parade has been cut back. Instead, more groups are walking. There were some safety concerns, but the goal is also to make the parade emissions free for Canada Pride in 2020. Grace Key, Global News. A former Vancouver Park Board Commissioner is calling on the city to extend their summer hours for two well-loved attractions in hopes of maximizing their revenue. Currently, the Bloedel Conservatory closes at 6 p.m., two hours earlier than in the past. And the Van Dusen Botanical Garden stays open until 7 p.m., but only on Thursdays. John Cooper says the city needs to promote and maximize all of their attractions' full potential, including the Stanley Park train, which has not been operating for more than a year. Well, I think it should be promoting its attractions more, getting the word out uh, how, how great they are and how valuable they are to both residents and visitors. We've seen, you know, uh, cruise ship traffic up this year. We're seeing tourists coming back. Uh, we need to maximize our facilities. 
Meantime, the park board says hours are determined by looking at data and trends while considering historical demand and visitation patterns. They add staffing is not an issue. Straight ahead on the news hour, the impact of the drought. How the lack of water in the province is affecting fish populations. Plus, retaliatory attacks against Russian aggression appear to be on the rise in Ukraine. More on the tension there when we come back. This year's record-breaking drought highlights concerns about the impact to BC's wildlife. As Victoria Famia reports, that includes our fish populations and their survival. The effects of the province's severe drought are quite obvious when it comes to wildfires. But one thing that might not be so obvious is its effects on fish. Drought basically usually occurs with high, high water temperatures as well. And it basically has two major effects. It reduces the quantity of water and the quality of water, meaning that it, the water is less suitable for the fish to survive in. And just like us, when the temperatures get too high, uh, their body functions start to shut down and, and they die. And similarly, if temperatures get too low, uh, then they also uh, start to lose body function and die. With the drought causing water levels to drop, Taylor says this could prevent fish from moving to different lakes or streams, creating higher concentrations of fish in smaller areas. If the fish gets concentrated and the water temperature is high, there's more fish uh, trying to get a smaller amount of oxygen. So the higher the water temperature is, the less uh, oxygen is in the water. And particularly for fish like salmon and trout, they need that cool water. Uh, a, because they just prefer cool water sort of physiologically, but also they have a relatively high oxygen demand. And if these severe droughts and extremely high temperatures persist year over year, there could be bigger problems, especially in the Okanagan. But I would think if temperatures rise much more that the Okanagan is quite likely to become uninhabitable by salmon. The Okanagan was just recently moved to a level four drought. And even though that's not welcome news for the region, the drought itself may not be the biggest problem for the fish. It's the extreme heat that likely will be. One of the issues with the drought uh, is that uh, stream flows fall low. And then uh, not only is the water perhaps too warm, but sometimes the fish can't even get up the creeks to spawn. Uh, but the Okanagan River is big enough and it's regulated. Uh, that that's not going to happen. But still, increasing temperatures are going to be a problem. Department of Zoology professor Eric Taylor says people have to start being mindful of their water usage during restrictions to help mitigate the drought. Victoria Femia, Global News. It seems like nearly everyone in Prince George has a bear story already this summer. Sightings are way up with bears moving into neighborhoods in search of food. Wildfire and droughts are impacting the bear population. The province says the warmer environments have prolonged the span of moths and that feed on those feed on hemlocks and Douglas firs severely impacting those trees. Berry crops are also affected due to the lack of precipitation. Typically in areas of town that you may not normally anticipate seeing a bear, especially during busier times. Uh, I saw a resident uh, was telling me, you know, again, he's had a bear living in his backyard for a couple of days. And uh, even in his conversations with conservation, uh, that it is a, a much busier bear season and earlier on than perhaps we're normally used to. Prince George has a section on its website about how to be bear aware, but generally, if you come across a bear, give it lots of room and back away slowly. 
A major fire has erupted at a commercial lumber yard in Winnipeg. Firefighters first responded overnight, calling for more help as the flames grew. Several homes around the area were evacuated as a precaution. People are now back home, but they're being told to keep their doors and windows closed over air quality concerns. One firefighter suffered minor injuries and was treated at the scene. There are no reports of any other injuries. Retaliatory attacks against Russian aggression appear to be ramping up in Ukraine. Two bridges connecting Russian-occupied areas of the country with Crimea have been damaged after an apparent missile attack. It marks the latest attempt by Ukraine to disrupt Russian supply lines and military operations in Crimea and the Black Sea. Redmond Shannon reports. President Vladimir Zelensky marking Ukraine's Air Force Day by signing a Storm Shadow missile provided by France. Note the Eiffel Tower on top of Ukraine's trident symbol. It's the same type of missile that Russian officials say struck two of the bridges connecting Russian annexed Crimea with the other Russian-held parts of Ukraine. The second attack on one of the bridges in six weeks. The attack on Russia's came after a night when Kyiv says it shot down 57 of Russia's 70 missile and drone attacks. Zelensky said this airstrike on a blood transfusion centre is a war crime. It killed two people. Russia's volley, an apparent retaliation for Ukraine striking against a Russian Navy ship and tanker in the Black Sea in recent days. Moscow, meanwhile, accuses Ukraine of hitting a university in Russian-occupied Donetsk with cluster bombs. Global News cannot verify those claims. In Saudi Arabia on the weekend, a Ukraine peace conference gathered 40 nations together, excluding Russia, but including the Kremlin's hugely influential ally, China. So what they're doing is they are trying to flip more neutral countries, and we saw China participate, which is a big deal. The territorial integrity of Ukraine is key to any peace plan, and on that, the two sides remain as far apart as ever. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. Sunday marks 78 years since the United States dropped an atomic bomb on the Japanese city of Hiroshima. People gathered at the Hiroshima Peace Memorial Park before dawn to remember those who died on August 6, 1945, many lighting candles and praying. A moment of silence was observed at 8.15 a.m. and a peace bell rang out at the exact time the atomic bomb was dropped by the Enola Gay on August 6, 1945 killing an estimated 140,000 people. Hiroshima's mayor urged world leaders to abandon the theory of nuclear deterrence and to take, quote, concrete steps to lead us from the dangerous present to our ideal world. A second atomic bomb was dropped on Nagasaki three days later, killing an additional 70,000 people. Japan surrendered on August 15th, ending World War II. Coming up on the news hour, putting on a show. More on a whale sighting in Port Moody right after the weather with Yvonne. Stay with us. Most people experience the Second World War through photos and videos and never grasp the true sense of the times. But one Saskatchewan woman was behind the lens capturing moments from her service. Brody Ratcliffe has the story. So you can become what you want to if you... Really push it. it was an important week for Yvonne Wildman, celebrating her 100th birthday. Happy birthday to you! 
surprised. Yvonne grew up with seven siblings, all of whom were boys. By the time she was 19, she joined the Royal Canadian Air Force. My girlfriend and I decided to chill because we wanted to see the world. Like her dad, she was interested in engines. But her dream of working on motors was stalled. Mechanics required a grade 10 certificate. Yvonne only finished grade 8. Well, I went into photography. Not because I wanted to. Because they wouldn't let me go into what I wanted to. After six months of basic training, she was sent to Vulcan, Alberta, where she helped the bomber pilots train. Although she admits the first flight she was on made her queasy. Well, I couldn't have cared if that plane had crashed. When the war was over, Yvonne and the rest of the RCAF Women's Division were let go. She returned home, got married, and had seven children. Not just telling her family about her experiences during the war, but showing them. It's a part of my life I'd, I'd do again. As for her secret to a long life, her lips are sealed. Do you have any secrets? Nope. No secrets at all, didn't? Well, if I did, I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> Brody Ratcliffe, Global News. Aw, oh, happy birthday, Yvonne. Not you, Yvonne. The other Yvonne. <laughs> the other Yvonne. Yes. The other Yvonne. Yes. Um, Julie, happy Pride, everyone. It's been a great uh, day to celebrate. Uh, we have seen a bit more cloud cover than sun, but it's been dry and warm out there through the day today. Temperatures are currently sitting at 22. We've got a southerly wind at 11 kilometers per hour. Hot spot for the province and across the country. Ashcroft today getting up to 36.9. It was hot for many spots and towards the interior. A few other areas with Nelson getting up to 33. Lytton today topping out at 32 and Prince George with highs up to 30 degrees. We we are seeing some active weather. This is for Bulkley Valley and the Lakes, Fort Nelson, also Munchell Lake Park. We've got a line of thunderstorm just working its way in. The big concern will be lightning. We're also seeing the potential for hail, intense downpours for a few areas, and that'll ease off, and then we'll see the instability pick up once again for tomorrow. A reminder, those with respiratory issues were still impacted by the smoke. All areas in grey, blanketing much of the southern half of the province, will continue to track local to widespread smoke over the next 24 and 48 hours. Fire danger rating as you're enjoying the latter half of the long weekend. A reminder, please be diligent with your cigarette butts. We're sitting at high and a few spots also sitting at extreme. We are going to see that pop-up thunderstorm activity for the afternoon and early evening hours. That'll be for the southern half of the province, a few spots in towards the central interior as well. And then this next weather maker that is moving in is going to bring a wave of moisture along the south coast. We'll be tracking the chance for some showers and this will be Tuesday, Wednesday. Not a significant amount of moisture, but a brief break from the heat and a bit of precipitation as well. Along the northern half of the province, we'll see showers tomorrow. Inland, Terrace getting up to 21 degrees. That risk of a thunderstorm will be for the peace, central and southern half of the province. A brief break, but still warm, especially for the southern half, with temperatures even pushing closer to 30 degrees. And we're also seeing a few isolated showers moving in for areas near Whistler. Port already could see some drizzle in the mix. It'll be warmer inland, closer to Port Alberni, up to 27 degrees. Victoria will see it brightening up through the afternoon, up to 21. And areas across the lower mainland, we're getting closer to 24 degrees. So we will see some cloud cover this evening. It'll brighten up through the day with a mix of sun and cloud. Humidex tomorrow will make it feel like 29 degrees. That blip in the forecast, it's been a while, but a much-needed change for Tuesday, Wednesday. Chance for some showers, highs up to 23 degrees, rebounding back into some sunshine and dry conditions on our Thursday. Julie? Thanks, Yvonne.
While many people pay to go on whale watching excursions to catch a glimpse of any sign of the magnificent creatures, but a group of four in Port Moody this weekend didn't have to leave a local marina in order to see some of the killer whales. They were at Reed Point Marina at about five o'clock Saturday afternoon when they spotted what they believe were four killer whales, including two calves swimming through the shallow waters. The site attracted dozens of others at the docks and in the their boats, prompting many in vessels to shut off their engines in order to watch them navigate the area. How, how good of them. Oh, so close. Not a surprise. Yeah, <laughs> very cool. So Barry is here. What have you got in sports? Well, Yvonne, remember a couple years ago, Roger Sloan gave you golf lessons? Yes, yes, you, you yes. A segment. He just won a tournament just oh, minutes ago. Oh, congrats to him. At the uh, Utah Championship. He's play Roger lost his tour card last year, so he's playing on something called the Corn Ferry Tour, which is one step below. But with this win, he should be able to get back on the PGA Tour. So we have highlights of that. We're going to hear from him. And another, the legend of Davis Schneider continues with the Blue Jays as well. This guy who played for the Canadians got called up and he just is ripping the cover off the ball. So we've got that and a blockbuster NHL trade. So, mm -hmm. yeah, lots coming up. All right. Thank you, Barry. Well, still to come on Global News Hour, an alternative to having to water your lawn. We'll tell you about the push to get people to entertain other landscape landscaping options when we come back. Zeroscaping is the practice of water conservation through creative landscaping. Many zeroscapes include rocky terrain, drought-tolerant plants, and drip irrigation. The city of Kamloops has been promoting it for a number of years, but as we experience drought conditions and ever-changing weather patterns, more property owners are moving away from grass lawns. Our report is from CFGC News. The years seem to get drier in the summertime. Xeriscaping becomes more and more popular all the time. While a green piece of manicured lawn used to be the norm, more and more properties in Kamloops are opting out of lawn maintenance. According to Colin Lyons, owner of Lyons Landscaping, he's seen an increase in requests for xeriscaping in the last few years. Our goal is to promote less weed growth, stronger plant growth, and then be very uh, conscientious of our, the climate that we're in. For some, xeriscaping has always been preferred to a front lawn. Kevin Buxton, for example, has been ahead of the trend for years. Our yard started as a piece of grass about 15 years ago, and we decided to kind of take out the grass because we find interesting plants to be more interesting to look at. Um, we would like to use less water, um, and the water we use, we would like it to be more effectively going to plants that we enjoy. and. Also, that require way less maintenance. According to the city of Kamloops, the average Kamloops resident uses about 800 to 850 litres of water per day. In the summer, that number rises to 1,800 litres of water per person per day, with 80% of that water being used outdoors to water grass, hose driveways and wash vehicles. The municipal government believes a xeriscape requires 50% or less water than a regular lawn. Well, already we're probably well ahead of the curve of where people would need to be if they're cutting back on their lawn. And if we needed to, at this point, turn the irrigation completely off on this yard, everything would most likely survive for the rest of the summer just fine. It wouldn't look as good, uh, but it would survive. Where if we had a turf lawn, it would turn brown, become a fire hazard, um, possibly die back, things like that. So. Many new developments have also opted for xeriscaping. The new gated community of Siena Ridge was developed without any turf front lawns. And as more people are becoming conscious of their effects on the environment, Lyons expects xeriscapes and synthetic turf to become common practice. Water resources are becoming a very 
high conversation in people's landscapes. So we're actually changing some of their landscapes to remove some of the sod and we're actually putting in a synthetic turf uh, instead, which requires no water and it's green all the time. So there's going to be a lot of that go on in the future. There's going to be a lot more need for it all the time. Sydney Chisholm, CFJC News. Coming up in sports, the FIFA Women's World Cup will have more on the swift elimination of the U.S. in a penalty shootout versus Sweden. Stay with us. Barry has sports after the break. August 16th is Pirate Pack Day at White Spot. Kids and adults alike can enjoy their very own Pirate Pack. For everyone sold, White Spot will donate $2 to Zajac Ranch, a camp for children with life-threatening illnesses and chronic disabilities. Don't miss the Ambleside Music Festival. This year features headliners Weezer and Third Eye Blind with Bahamas, St. Motel, and more. Plus, the Okanagan Wine Festivals will be bringing the taste of the Okanagan to Ambleside Park. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. Global BC Community Hub. Promote your event, build your community. Global BC Community Hub, bringing your worlds together. Barry is back. Quite the trade today. Yeah, everyone was talking about uh, Eric Carlson and where he might go. Well, now we know. Now we know. Not coming to Vancouver, we'll tell you that much. Canucks haven't done so well with uh, overpaid defensemen over the years. Uh, thanks, Julie. Blockbuster NHL trade today. Pittsburgh acquired Norris Trophy winning defenseman Eric Carlson from the Sharks for a 2024 first rounder and forward Michael Granlund. The 33-year-old Carlson is coming off a career year. 25 goals, 101 points for a defenseman. Sidney Crosby turns 36 tomorrow. Evgeny Malkin is 37. So still a small window for the Pens to win another cup. It's a three-team deal also involving the Montreal Canadiens. The Habs ended up getting goalie Casey DeSmith and defenseman Jeff Petrie from the Pens in the deal. Mike Hoffman goes from Montreal to San Jose. All right, golf now on the Corn Ferry Tour. Minutes ago, Corn Ferry Tour is one step below the PGA Tour. Merritt's Roger Sloan in contention at the Utah Championship. Knocks in a birdie at 17, tied for the lead. Now, as we mentioned, he did give Yvonne Shell golf lessons about uh, eight years ago now at Bear Mountain. And Yvonne is still playing great. Now at the 18th, Sloan needs birdie to get the win. From 107 yards, how about this for a clutch shot? Beautiful approach, sinks it uh, or spins it to about three feet below the hole. What a shot by Roger. So this is for the victory, and he's got it. His second-ever Corn Ferry Tour win. His last was back in 2014, but 36-year-old Roger Sloan is a winner at the Utah Championship. He now has a great chance to get back on the PGA Tour next season. The top 30 on Corn Ferry get the promotion. Sloan is now 27th. Here's Roger on his big win. A lot of breathing, you know. Uh... You know what a win does for you on this tour, and uh, I was really happy with how I was able to reset a, little, a few times there on the back nine, take a couple breaths, realize that I'm just trying to play the golf the same way it was Thursday, Friday, and uh, that really helped me get through a lot of those uh, those, those tough times that, that can happen trying to win a golf tournament. I mean, it's great. I mean, I've got my kids and my wife, and I mean, this is just, you couldn't write a better script here, uh, so it was nice to, to get some hugs and kisses there after the round. Um, you know, I'm glad that they're here, able to enjoy this and uh, we'll, we'll have a nice, fun night tonight. 
awesome for Roger and his family. Final day of the PGA Tour regular season. Final round of the Wyndham from North Carolina. Golfers trying to get into the top 70 in the standings to make the playoffs. Justin Thomas usually has no problem making the playoffs, but he was outside the top 70. But when he makes this eagle putt, to get to 12 under, he's projected to be exactly 70th, but he bogeyed the next hole. And then at the 18th, this is his birdie chip. If this goes in, he would get into the top 70, but it hits the stick and stays out. Thomas is down, literally. He ended up finishing 71st, and he will not make the playoffs. That's a big surprise. Meanwhile, veteran Lucas Glover was 112th when the week began. He needed to be top two to get in. Well, he did one better than that. Sinks the putt at 18, clinches a two-shot victory, moves up to 49th and makes the playoffs. Adam Stenson of Surrey tied seventh, eight behind Glover. So Nick Taylor, Adam Hadwin, Corey Connors, and Mackenzie Hughes all join Stenson in the playoffs next week at the St. Jude. So five Canadians making the top 70. That is very impressive. Well, if you've watched the Blue Jays this season, it seems they've been lacking that spark to really find their group. Yes, they have been in a playoff spot for most of the year, but haven't really fired on all cylinders to reach their full potential. But now it appears they have gotten that spark. And from one of the most unlikely sources, Davis Schneider was a 28th round draft pick by the Jays in 2017. He spent time with the Vancouver Canadians as recently as 2021, but he has made quite a major league entrance this weekend in Boston. He got called up from AAA Buffalo on Friday, promptly homered in his first major league at bat, and he has not stopped, leading the Jays to a three-game sweep of the Sox and has single-handedly lit a fire under this Blue Jays team. Jays manager John Schneider, no relation, but he may adopt Davis as his son if he keeps this up. First at bat today, Schneider, who's not a big guy, five foot nine, compact swing, and laces a base hit up the middle. That makes him six for nine as a major leaguer, making it look very easy. Now, the Jays did get on the board in the third. Schneider not involved in this, but Matt Chapman crashes a double off the green monster, scores a couple of runs. The Jays put up four in the inning, and they led the Red Sox 4-0. Back to Schneider. Up in the fourth with one on. First pitch he sees and launches it over the green monster, actually right out of Fenway Park. A mammoth two-run shot, his second homer in three days. Jays led 6-0. Not only is it an awesome story, but it's really got his teammates pumped up. You can't underestimate the juice he has given this team in the dog days of August. Next at bat, bases loaded. He's hit by a pitch, a painful way to get an RBI, but he'll take it. And then next at bat, Laces one to left. That scores another run, his fourth RBI of the game, and it's 12-1 Jays. And then in the ninth, one more at bat, and even against shortstop Pablo Reyes pitching in a blowout, Schneider hits the 45-mile-per-hour curveball for his fourth hit of the game, 9 for 13 in the series. The nine hits in his first three games ties a major league record. The Jays win 13-1, and the legend of Davis Schneider begins. His teammates now call him Babe Schneider. Awesome stuff. Don't look now, but the Mariners are hot on the Jays' tail for that final wild-card spot. Seattle in Anaheim 
taking on the Angels. Former Jay Teoscar Hernandez with a line drive homer to left. The Mariners led 2-1, 17th of the year for Teoscar. Angels tied it. It went to extras. And it's Eugenio Suarez with a clutch base hit to left. That scores tie France. And Seattle sweeps the four-game set from the Angels. The Mariners have won a season-high five straight. They're just two and a half back of the Jays and eight long weeks left in the Major League season. Community Shield match from Wembley kicks off the start of the uh, English soccer season. Arsenal versus Manchester City. No scoring until the 72nd, uh, 72nd minute. Cole Palmer with a beauty. He's just 21. Like Man City needs even more talent on that team. It looked like it would hold up as the winner, but in the 11th minute of added time, Leandro Trossard's shot is deflected and goes in. It's 1-1, and we need penalties. Rodri is the third taker for Man City, and denied by Aaron Ramsdale. Fine save by the Arsenal keeper. Fabio Vieira has a chance to win it for the Gunners. And he does. Arsenal lift the community shield for a 17th time, 4-1 on penalties. The English Premiership's new season begins Friday. The defending champs, Manchester City, will play Burnley. Women's World Cup round of 16, USA and Sweden. This would go to penalties. American star Megan Rapinoe in her last World Cup. Oh, maybe the pressure got to her, skies it over the bar. It came down to Lena Hertig for Sweden. This is for the win. Now, she said that went in. They have to go to goal line technology. It took a long time to review this, and they say that, I mean, it doesn't look like it's all way across the line, but it's ruled a goal. I guess it's a good goal. You can't argue with technology, can you? Anyway, Sweden advanced to play Japan in the quarters. The Americans knocked out at the earliest stage ever in a World Cup, so they are in shock. Gonzo. In America. They're done. Uh, all right. Thanks all right. so much, Barry. Well, still to come on the news hour, Barbenheimer might be showing us that going to movies is back after the pandemic, but is it just a one-off? More on that when we come back. This program is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. Visit jmins.com. This summer's blockbusters have redefined movie attendance post-COVID-19. Barbie and Oppenheimer have combined to earn more than $1 billion at the box office globally. But experts are unsure whether this new wave of theater attendance is a flash in the pan or here to stay. Kyle Benning has more. With each passing strip of film, audiences remain captivated by two of the summer's hottest films. Let's go recruit some scientists. Whether it's Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Ken. Or Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Cinema attendance has reached levels not seen since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. And both films have movie buffs beaming to get in front of the silver screen. Not for you. Not for a long time. It's also like... You would think it'd be more addressed to kids, but it's addressed to like all people. Yeah. I'm so excited to see this movie. It's just a movie I can't miss. We don't have the energy for that. Probably <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't have the advanced tickets. Or the advanced tickets. The proof is in the pudding. In their first 11 days, both films combined to earn more than $1 billion U.S. globally. $774 million for Barbie and $400 million for Oppenheimer. This battle between the two very opposite pictures has completely changed the outlook for a part of the entertainment sector that was waiting for its post-pandemic comeback. When we were heading into Barbenheimer weekend, the weekend of July 21st, the summer box office was down. 
about 7%. And then now the summer box office is up about 9%. Canada's largest theater company has seen that play out with July 2023 marking its second busiest month ever. Cineplex says it raked in more than $86 million in box office revenue and more full auditoriums results in more concession sales and traffic to associated businesses like retail and restaurants. But theater operators say if the public wants to watch movies on the big screen, they need to show it. They need to vote with their feet and with their dollars. They need to come back to the movies uh, and support local movies, local movie theaters. Kyle Benning, Global News. Well, returning now to the Vancouver Pride Parade, where you might have noticed some familiar faces. Happy Pride! Happy Pride! That's our very own Global News Hour at Six Anchor, Sophie Louie, along with weather specialist Steph Florian and traffic reporter Caitlin Osansky, holding down the float with other members of our crew. Looks like our team is into the dye, but we're curious about where Sophie got those rainbow knee-high socks. Yeah, we'll have to ask. Headband as well. Yes. She might have picked it them up out. along the route. Somebody might have given them to her, I think. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's the fun of it. Yeah, the women in our station are definitely the best dancers. Yeah. Def definitely. Well, I mean, I've seen the others oh. myself. So. And, and, and Not you two yet, though. Maybe next year. <laughs> next Maybe year. next year. You next year. find a headband for yourself. Yes, we will. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for being with us. We'll leave you with the sights of the Vancouver Pride Parade. Have a great night. Woo!